you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. All right, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great to be with you, City on a Hill. Uh, as some of you know, I have been on leave for the last two, three weeks, back after holiday. A bunch of people said, where did you go for your holiday? I went to this exotic little place called Mitcham. Anyone been to Mitcham before? It is, of course, where I live. We had uh, a staycation Wife, four kids, staying at home together. Uh, a few road trips to Red Hill. Uh, took the kids to Bogganing, uh, to Lake Mountain. Had a great time, feeling refreshed uh, and really thankful to be back with you this morning. On what is a very special day. Did you know that today our very own Ben Hewitt has begun Sunday services in Ballarat? Praise the Lord for that. And this afternoon, we are kicking off for the very first time Alpha in person. And we have over 50 people registered and ready to go for that. And today, uh, it's my joy to uh, begin uh, this seven-week journey, a seven-week series called The Vine, The Trellis, and The Crow, Building a Rule of Life. I want you to know that this may be one of the most important sermon series we have had in the life of City on a Hill. This is going to be important for us all, and I'm so thankful uh, you are here for today and this journey we have ahead. Uh, Some months back, I was driving in the car, listening to sports radio, and there was callers calling on in and sharing a bunch of things, and a former rugby player uh, called on in, and he was talking about this life-changing program that he was on. It was called 75 Hard. 75 Hard. By show of hands, has anyone heard of 75 Hard? Okay, a few of us. 75 Hard is, uh, promises to be this, you know, this 70-day program to, to push you mentally and physically. And it's built on five rules, right? If you're going to do 75 Hard, you need to follow these five rules. Number one, for 75 days, you've got to follow a strict diet. No processed food, no alcohol, no cakes, no sweets, no KFC, basically no fun for 75 days. Rule two, you must work out twice a day, two 45-minute workouts a day. Rule three, every day you must read 10 pages of a non-fiction book. Every day, 10 pages, something to push you intellectually, like The Art of the Deal by Donald Trump, whatever you choose to push you. Rule four, you gotta drink a gallon of water which is almost like four liters or 88 trips to the bathroom a day, right? A lot of water. And then rule five, how about this one? Post a progress pic on social media every single day. Imagine being friends with that. I mean, every single day. Uh, And here's the kicker. (laughs) 
If you break any one of those rules, if you just have one cheeseburger, one sip of alcohol from the communion cup, uh, if you miss, you have to start all the way at the beginning and do it all again. Why? Because it's not just 75, it's 75 hard. 75 hard. And, and, and what's the promise? Life transformation. At least that's what it says on the tin. In the words of the founder himself, 75 hard is the only program that can permanently change your life forever. Big call, right? Wow. <laughs> Big call. But people all over the world are taking up the challenge. And can you see why? Why is it that people jump to programs like 75 Hard and the many others out there that are like it? Why? Maybe it has something to do with the pace and the pressure and the uncertainty of our present world. Uh, Programs like 75 Hard give people routine. They give us a sense of order and structure, a sense of control. Perhaps it has something to do with the the emphasis our culture has on the power of self, right? We we are told in a million and one ways that if you want to see change in this world, it's not going to happen out there. It's up to you. You are the difference. You can bring about the change, the life that you want. And of course, with this is this growing emphasis in our culture on accomplishment, uh, self-actualization, self-fulfillment. Right? Let's be honest, no one wants to kind of go through the motions of life without any drive or direction. We're tired of sitting in traffic, going to that same dull job that pays that same dull salary to get through that next same dull weekend. What does our culture want? We want freedom. We want adventure. We want to realize the best version of ourselves. We want to find love. We want to find happiness. We want to find fulfillment. We want to live our best life now. And while much of this sounds superficial, and let's be honest, quite exhausting, it certainly taps into a deep longing we all share when it comes to our faith and our journey as Christians. I was not raised going to church and from a young age um, certainly felt a desire for something more, a hungering and thirsting for something more. I never forget opening the Bible for the very first time. I had a bunch of questions as a teenage kid and all of these light bulbs were going off. All of these questions were being answered as I dived into the New Testament and encountered Jesus. Here in Jesus, I I found one of authenticity and conviction and truth. In Jesus, I, I, I saw one of unmatched power who had this ability to calm a raging sea. And yet at the same time, his power was under control and, and always used for good. In Jesus, I saw this generosity and this compassion and this love, the way he engaged with other people, all kinds of people, was genuine and authentic and inspiring. And yet, do you know what captured me most of all? It was seeing and hearing Jesus' invitation to a new and better life. That amidst all of my searching, And amidst all of my wandering and exploring, here is Jesus inviting me, inviting us all to a new and better life. Uh, In in John, for example, John chapter 10, we find Jesus with his disciples and, and, and he contrasts his own purpose with the devil. He says, the devil comes to steal, kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I have come, you'd have life and have it to the full. Isn't that extraordinary? In an age where so many people are searching for significance and running from one program to the next program, here is Jesus inviting us into a dynamic relationship with God that is bursting with color and life. And yet isn't it true that It doesn't take much for us to lose focus, to get distracted, 
Um, we become stagnant and sleepy in our faith. We forget who we are and, and what we've been invited to. I know in my own life now, I've been a Christian for some 20 plus years, 25 plus years, and, and I can look back and I can see seasons where I was distracted, where I lost focus, where I was not enjoying pursuing the life that Jesus has for me. And Maybe you're here today and you can think back to seasons in your life where you've felt stagnant or sleepy. Maybe you are experiencing that right now. How do we, how do we take hold of our faith and let God have his way in our life? What does it practically look like to go deep with Jesus and share in the abundant life that he came to give? In 2022, I spent six months of the year as part of my study reflecting on discipleship, spiritual formation, and, and, and what it practically looks like for us all to go deep in Jesus. And since then, I've been sharing some of the journey with my wife and some close friends. Uh, every month, I've been bringing together the, the staff of City on a Hill from across all of our churches to, to talk about this journey and what we can learn from the Bible. And so I'm really excited uh, to begin that journey today with you. I want you to know that the Vine Trellis and Crow is unlike any other series that we've done before. Uh, I also want you to know, it's not a fitness program. Uh, this is not uh, a series of academic lectures. Uh, this is not life coaching. Though I hope we can learn some things about life and how to make good and godly decisions. At its heart, the Vine, Trellis and Crow is a seven-week journey in spiritual transformation that I trust will challenge inspire and equip you to go deep in Jesus and become all he has called you to be. As Steph shared, we've got a host of great resources to help you make the most of this series. And each and every Sunday, I plan to do the bulk of the teaching here. Each and every Sunday, you'll have an opportunity to engage with me. I want to hear your questions. So please feel free to send them in and we'll uh, respond to them in a little while. But before we go any further, here's what I need. I need your commitment. I need your commitment. I know commitment is something of a swear word in our culture today. Uh, but let me say that absolute commitment is crucial for this journey that we are embarking on. This series is designed as a whole. And uh, to make the most of it, you need to be part of it every step of the way. If you just kind of dip in and out, you're probably going to be confused, a bit disorientated. It's designed as a whole. So let me encourage you to lean in. If you just want to cruise in your faith and go through the motions and the vine trellis and the crow is not for you. This is for people who are hungry for Jesus and eager for change. In light of that, why don't you go and grab a Bible and come with me to this foundational text in John 15. Uh, in many ways, this text and this image that Jesus lays before us is going to set the vision for the seven weeks ahead. John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. A few insights from this vision. First, so important that you know that God made you to flourish in Christ. God made you to flourish in Christ. Now, in the first century, everybody in the room with Jesus understood the significance of the vineyard. A vineyard in a community uh, was crucial for its economic growth, right? Hundreds of jobs were given to local workers for a vineyard to keep going and its produce 
uh, was a sought-after commodity that led to the community's welfare and its prosperity. Of course, it also had a, a social and cultural dimension. You know, the grape and wine was a, a feature point in, in, in every celebration. We think of Jesus' first miracle and the wedding celebration. There is Jesus offering them what? The best wine. So there's this cultural, economic, social imagery anchored in this, but also one that is referred to throughout the Bible to describe God's relationship with his people. Time and time again, the Bible lifts up the vineyard as an image, a metaphor for God's relationship with his people. For example, uh, Psalm 1, the writer says, Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Then in Psalm 80, the image of the vine is uh, applied to God's people in the promised land. The psalmist turns to God and says, you transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and you planted it. You cleared the ground for it and it took root and it filled the land. And so here in John 15, in the upper room, Jesus takes this rich, cultural, social, uh, biblical metaphor of the vineyard and applies it directly to himself and our relationship with Jesus. He says, I am the true vine and you are the branches. What does that mean? It means that in Jesus, we, by faith, have now been engrafted into the life and love of Jesus. He is the one in whom we now flourish and prosper. And how many of you know this is good news? Right? I mean, you think uh, of the opening scenes in the Bible. Where do we find Adam and Eve? We find them in a garden. They're made to flourish in God's presence, made to work and enjoy him. And yet we see that sin disrupts God's garden paradise. Adam and Eve swallow a lie and there are all kinds of consequences for their sin. But the most tragic of them all is that they are sent out and banished from the garden. They are cut off from the tree of life. They are separated from God himself. It doesn't mean that we don't, can't know God, but we now live in the world and never in the garden. And it is the curse of sin and separation that leads to all manner of chaos and confusion. Our life is now cut short. Our life is now lived through the lens of futility. There is frustration in our jobs, breakdown in our relationships, our own thoughts, feelings, and actions are compromised by sin. We have capacity for truth, but our truth-telling always seems to walk with a little bit of deceit. We have moments where we find hope, but it's so easily disrupted by despair and darkness And we have a life, a good life, a meaningful life, and yet that is so often overshadowed by the reality of death. But do you see why Jesus is good news of great joy? Because here in the upper room, moments before his death, moments before he goes to the cross to take upon our sins and the curse of sin, moments before he does it, he says, I am the true vine, and you are the branches. You hear what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying that in him, you have a way back to the garden, a way back to life. In Jesus, our bodies of decay and sin are now engrafted into the very source of life. Just as a vine gives life and nutrients to all the branches, so Jesus promises to give his disciples, to give you everything you need, the energy you need, the wisdom you need, the comfort you need, the hope you need, 
our ultimate desires and our ultimate needs are not going to be found in this passing world. They're not going to be found in your career or that next relationship. They're not even going to be found in yourself. Ultimately, you are made for Jesus and everything you need, everything that you ultimately desire is found in Him. Life is found in Jesus. And please note, this life of Jesus is not only going to give you all that you need, but at the same time is going to begin a profound work of change and transformation in you. Right? The life of Jesus that by faith we now are engrafted to begins a radical process of change and transformation in us. Who, who remembers reading as a kid, you know, the story of Beauty and the Beast, right? Beauty and the Beast. Maybe you've seen the movie. I, I, I'll give you a spoiler warning, but to be honest, the book has been out since 1740s, 1740s so you've had time uh, to look at it. Beauty and the Beast, what's the story? Well, here is a selfish, vain, unkind, cruel prince. Uh, who's put under a curse, a spell. And he's told that unless he is truly loved by another, he'll remain a beast forever. And it turns out that a beautiful young woman named Belle walks into the castle. And while she finds the beast ghastly at first, she does find a way to truly love him. And the spell is broken. The curse ends. And what do we see in the closing scenes? Transformation, right? The fangs and the horns drop. And the humanity of the prince that was once disfigured and hidden is now redeemed, restored, and made new. In the same way, in a similar way, when we read the New Testament and look at Jesus, you need to appreciate that he came to this world to bring life. He came to this world to deal with your sin and the curse of sin that is upon this world and upon us all. And that through his love, he, he gives us this life. And what does that life now do in us? It restores us. It, it makes us new. The claws and fangs and horns of lust, greed, pride, adultery, adultery, uh, idolatry, uh, selfishness and violence, like all of these things, they're going to drop in the power of Jesus. They're going to fall off. Fall off. And, the, and the humanity that God gave us that was disfigured and hidden by our own sin, Jesus wants to take hold of that and he wants, you, he wants you to be new. He wants to put to death the old self and create the new self. Um, this is where Jesus' image of the vine and its fruit is, is so very, very helpful and inspiring. And Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You see, the moment you become a Christian, God is not only going to strip away your fangs and claws, but gift you with a new life that is now bursting with spiritual fruit. You say, what are the fruit of the Spirit? The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Believers who abide in Christ are to feel a love and a joy. They're to experience that. They are to show that in the way that they work, in the way that they serve, in the way that they relate to others and see the world. There is an evidence there of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. You know, we are living in what Richard Foster called the age of superficiality, an age where very few people know what truly matters. And so in a search for significance, people are grasping at all kinds of things. People will point to the number of followers they have on social media. People will point to the size of their bank account. People will big note the university degree that they have or the company they got to work for. People will point to their sporting achievements or their creative accomplishments. 
And Christians are tempted to play a similar game. When it comes to our value, we are tempted to point to our extensive knowledge of the Bible or the number of spiritual gifts that we have or the number of things that we have done for the kingdom. And these things are not irrelevant, but according to Jesus, they fall painfully short of the true vision of life that God has for you. Dallas Willard put it well when he said, the most important thing in your life is not what you do, it's who you become. That's what you will take into eternity. Life is not ultimately about what you do, it's about who you become. And the good news of the gospel is that you have been created and made to become like Jesus. You are made to become like Jesus. When we read the New Testament, uh, we're not just to admire Jesus or even agree with his teaching. The refrain over and over again is what? Follow me. We are to look at Jesus and the way he um, loved people. You think of tax collector Zacchaeus or the woman at the well. We're to look at that love and inquire about that love. And we're to look at his strength and his boldness. You read the New Testament, you see the way he confronted the Pharisees or would stare down demonic spirits. We're to look at Jesus' kindness and grace. A woman caught in adultery and there he is bridging the gap, standing in her defense and offering her freedom. And when we look at Jesus, we are to say, aha, this is life in all its fullness. Here in Jesus is fully God and fully complete man. We are to look at him and see a complete life. We are to say, this is one, this is the one I am to follow. And this is who I have been destined to become like. Paul uh, puts this so Uh, powerfully and challengingly in Romans. He says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed, or we could use the word transformed, to the image of his son. Your ultimate purpose, your ultimate purpose is not to graduate from uni with honors, meet a nice partner, get a nice job, Move somewhere nice, have nice kids, and retire somewhere nice. That may be part of your life, but it is not the chief end or ultimate purpose of your life. Just as a branch remains in a vine to bear a harvest of great beauty and blessing to others, so you were destined before the foundation of this world to dwell in Christ and bear fruit that would last. God made you to flourish in Jesus. That's why you're here. That's why you exist on planet Earth. It is the best life, not the easiest life. It is the best life, the most significant life, and it is the life that gives God the most glory. But there's a challenge. There's a real challenge before us today. And this leads to the second observation. You're made to flourish, but number two, your life and growth in Jesus won't happen by accident. Let me say that again. Your life and growth in Jesus won't happen by accident. I love the insight by Don Carson. He says it like this. People do not drift toward holiness, or we could say Christ-likeness or fruitfulness, right? People do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, People do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. This is where Jesus' imagery of the vine is so important. Because a vine doesn't just need water and nutrients. What does it need? It needs support and it needs structure. You see, unlike trees, vineyards cannot stand by themselves. They need a trellis. They need a trellis. A trellis is a wooden framework 
that you put in place to lift the vine from the ground, to give it exposure to the sun, to give it the room and freedom it needs to grow, to bear fruit. In the same way, you who are in Christ can't expect that your growth in Jesus is just going to happen by accident, just as a trellis must be put in place, so you need to put in place a trellis in your life. You need structure. You need grace-filled rhythms, spirit-filled practices to support you in Jesus, to help you remain in Jesus, to bear fruit. This is where Christians have for many centuries now, talked about the importance of building a rule of life. Now, the word rule comes from a Latin word that essentially means straight piece of wood. And so a rule of life for the Christian is the trellis that we build to help us live fruitful lives. And I'm going to talk a lot more about this next week. You really want to make sure you're here next week. It's going to be a transformational Sunday to be part of. But in essence, a rule of life is an intentional plan. It's a set of rhythms and practices that serve to strengthen your life and your growth and your faith, hope and love in Jesus. In thinking this through, I always find it helpful um, to think about our own experience of going to the gym. Right? Anyone ever signed up for a gym membership before by show of hands? Okay, quite a few of us. Maybe need a few more, but quite a few of us, right? <laughs> so what happened? Why, why do we end up at a gym? Uh, well, maybe you're there because you want to increase your cardio and do the Melbourne Marathon or something like that. Maybe you're there because you want to increase your flexibility or, I don't know, get arms like Thor or something like that. Uh, we all sign up for gyms for different reasons. Um, but what happens when we actually go to the gym? Well, uh, <laughs> If you've got a PT or at least someone who helps sign you up, if they're worth anything, they're not only going to hear your goal and vision, they want to understand where you currently are and they want to give you what? A program. They're going to want to give you a program. If they just send you out into a gym and you're like looking around at what everyone's saying, like you're not going to be lost and confused. You're not going to grow. You're not going to develop. You're not going to, not going to get the most out of it. They need to give you a program that is personally tailored to help you realize your goal. Right? You've got to start drinking a little less alcohol and drink a lot more water. On Tuesdays, I want you to do some deadlifts. On Wednesday, hit the treadmill. On Thursday, right? They're going to give you a plan, right? As someone once said, a goal without a plan is just a wish. A lot of people have ambition and vision when it comes. Without a plan, it's just a wish, right? This is not rocket science. <laughs> you, you know this, of course. You apply this intentionality, the plans and thinking when it comes to your health, most likely your study, your career, your finances, your saving, right? We all understand this. What baffles me is that very few Christians apply this same way of thinking, intentionality, focus when it comes to their faith. So many Christians today, particularly in the West, particularly in this postmodern age, are incredibly passive. They dip in and out of church as it suits. And so the Bible is just a dusty book on the top shelf. We rarely pray. I mean, you look at the data. We rarely pray. Maybe in an emergency, maybe if you're struggling to find a car park, you pray, but that's about it. There's not what Paul said, a constant communion with God. And occasionally we might get a spiritual shot in the arm when we, I don't know, go to a conference or hear an inspiring talk, but it doesn't take long for us to go back to that same motion where we just drift. We just drift. We lose drive. We lose direction. And we wonder why. I tell you why. You're drift drifting because you have a faith, but you're not working on your faith. You believe in God but you're not practicing life with God. All right, think of any great relationship. Boy meets girl. They get together. 
Sparks fly. They're enjoying each other's company. They want to be with one another every moment. Oh, I want to see you. I want to see you. It's so close. They go to the movies. They go for long walks along the beach. They're posting pictures at restaurants, sharing food and how much they love each other. And they're just serving. Oh, I'll do anything. You do. They love each other. And then what happens? They get married. They get married. And there's a honeymoon. And that's mostly good. But give it, I don't know, two years, five years, seven, like you just pick the time. At some point, they're going to face the realities, the difficulties. They're going to see the imperfection. They're going to be opening that next bill, cleaning that next nappy. Things are going to be hard. And you look at the data and what are you going to see? You're going to see the 50% of all marriages end in separation. How, does, how do people go from, I love you, I'll do anything for you for better for us. How, how do they go from that to that? Now, there's all kinds of different things we could talk about, but let me tell you one observation I would make, and it is this, is that people, people stop doing what they did in the beginning. Couples stop doing what they did in the beginning. The man stops dating his wife. The woman stops pursuing her husband. And so there's this drift, right? People often talk about, don't they? They want an extraordinary love life. Right? We all, I want an extraordinary love life. I want an extraordinary career. I want extraordinary all of... You know that the path of extraordinary is built in the ordinary. It's built in the ordinary, everyday rhythms, right? Uh, my wife and I actually two weeks ago, just celebrated our 21st, 21st uh, wedding anniversary, right? We've been married 21 years. Yeah. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> I was 13 at the time, so I'm feeling... <laughs> Is marriage easy? No. Are there moments where you feel the drift? Absolutely. But my observation is that if you want a marriage that will last, one of intimacy, it's not just in the extraordinary holiday moments, it's the everyday commitments where you choose for better or worse to, to draw near to one another. Right? Again, so very obvious when it comes to our relationships, but so often overlooked when it comes to your most important relationship, namely the relationship that you have with Jesus. The Apostle Paul, what, what does he say to us? He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that work is a present continuous, right? It's, a, it's the ordinary ongoing, right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. All right, so God has a good purpose for your life, and he is the one who is at work in and through us, right? The vine giving you life. But notice Paul says, you've got to work. You've got to work. A lot of Christians don't like language like that. They bristle at that. And that's because we don't want to um, fall into the error of believing that through our work, we can earn God's favor or we could earn God's salvation. All right? As Christians, Bible-believing Christians, we believe we're saved through Christ alone, by faith alone, and grace alone, right? But as Willard helpfully says, grace... Grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude, effort is an action. The Christian life, listen, requires effort. It requires work. It requires what Eugene Peterson called long obedience in the same direction. This week, I asked my uh, social media friends, uh, what practices are you putting in place that are fueling your faith, helping you grow in Jesus? Great to read. Paul spoke of reading the Bible daily, quiet reflection in nature. Kristen spoke of praying each day for those she serves. Lynette spoke of reading the Bible, discussing that with friends. Uh, Harvey spoke of the practice of daily repentance. I also thought Joanna had something really important to add to the conversation and bring that up. She said, something I've been realizing and trying to work on is how much disciplines that aren't directly spiritual impact on my spiritual life. 
I'm in a much better headspace to be able to pray thoughtful prayers, remember what I read in a Bible study, and engage in Christian community when I'm getting enough sleep, exercise, and time away from screens. Right? That's a really uh, helpful observation that's often missed in discussions about a rule of life. A rule of life isn't just talk about how much you need to read the Bible and how much you should pray, though that's part of it. It's all of life. It's thinking about we're embodied beings. God's made us for relationships. I'm going to talk about this more next week. But my hope throughout this series is that you would take time to build your own rule of life, wherever you are on the spiritual journey, to take a step forward toward Christ. But let me just say this as we kind of finish up. Um, If you take up this challenge, if you start putting in place new rhythms and practices to grow in Christ, the devil won't like it. If you're just coasting, going through the motions, it's fine. But if you actually take your faith seriously today, the devil will not like it. And that leads to a third and final and briefish point. Number three, your life and faith uh, will come under attack. So when Jesus in- introduced the image of the vineyard, uh, everybody knew about the importance of a trellis. You've got to support it. You've got to structure it. But everybody listening also knew that you don't just preserve a vineyard. You must protect it. In fact, I was chatting to a bloke after the nine o'clock and he was saying in Mildura, which is where uh, he is from, uh, there were jobs for like 18-year-old backpackers where they got to sit on a quad bike with guns to shoot away the birds, the crows. Why? Because they would come to try and swoop the harvest. They'd come to try and take the fruit. And actually, Jesus leans into that imagery when he talks about the parable of the sower. There he uh, uses the image of uh, a man planting seed to describe the kingdom. But it comes with a warning. He says, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Right? The devil comes and swoops on him to rob you of the life and faith that you have in Jesus. Right? These are real forces in our world, and they're looking for ways to get on in. The devil is always looking, studying you, watching you. I remember actually working on my back porch. I was actually working on a sermon on the back porch, and, and little did I realize that I'd left the back door open, and a magpie had made its way into my living room. This black, beady-eyed magpie in my living room. I know a lot of you love animals and birds. You're like, ah, it's great. No, I do not like magpies in my living room. I don't like Collingwood supporters, and I don't want either of them (laughs) in my living room. (laughs) I'm thinking about all this damage it's going to cause. It's going to attack our rabbit, swoop on my Melbourne football jumper. (laughs) The truth is the devil prowls around looking for an opening in your life. An area of compromise, an area of unbelief, a habit, an unhealthy habit, a lie, like looking for openings to rob you of the life Jesus came to give you. So throughout this series, listen, we're going to get really honest and we're going to get really practical. I'm going to talk about the various tactics the devil employs, but also... The armor, the armory, the weapons, what we need to keep the door shut. And the last thing I'll just say to this is just, you know, if you're here today, you are not in this journey alone. Right? Culture of individualization says, yes, you've got a faith, which great. But Jesus said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. I am the vine and you are the branches. Now, when Jesus says you, he's not just saying you, he's saying you, you people, right? Or as Aussies would say, yous, or my Texan friends, y'all, right? We are the branches. What does that tell you? It tells us that we are in this together. You can't do Christianity alone. You can't fight your battles alone. You need to know that you have men and women around you who exist to help you, to spur you on, to encourage you, to correct you, to to watch your back. 
to identify where there could be some openings in your life, to encourage you to keep your eyes on Jesus. City on a Hill, we're not doing this alone. We're in this together. And on your way in today, you would have received a little pack. What's in that little pack? A seed. A little seed. Uh, Don't lose it. Take a step of faith today and plant it. And, and, and plant it as a reminder and an encouragement that we're in this together and that Jesus wants you to flourish in him. Even as you water it, even as you see it on your desk or wherever you place it, to know that the Jesus desires you to flourish in him. It won't happen by accident. It takes effort. It takes work. But we have Christ and we have one another. So I'm going to give you a moment now to stand and stretch and I'll come back and lead us. We'll have some Q&A. Awesome. All right. All righty. I think we're ready to dive in. Thank you, Guy. So appreciate all the work that you've done into uh, this moment to get to this moment uh, as we step out on this journey together. So we're just going to dive straight in in. and look at some questions. First question. What do you do when you're praying for so long for a job, one that your health capacity can handle and enjoy, but your current job is a Mm. daily physical challenge? Hmm. Well, that's a great question. I love how um, honest and practical it is. And I, my first point to say is just to encourage you in that. Um, so good that you are praying. Um, and uh, I think just to add to that, it's always great, at least a practice I have in my life, is that whenever I'm praying for something, I also invite a few other people to be praying with me uh, and for me in that. Um, I like to pray that... Um, you know, there, there might be clear outcomes that you want to see from a, from a job, and that's a good thing, and that's an important thing. But also to pray for my own heart in the midst of that. Uh, sometimes, you know, when it comes to our prayers, whether it's a job or a relationship or whatever it is, uh, the answer can be um, no, uh, it can be yes, or it can be not now or something else. Um, and faith is a journey where we don't get to see everything. Uh, and, and I actually believe that's for our good. Um, sometimes God closes a door that we're like, I want to go into that room or take that opportunity. But actually God's protecting us and caring for us. Uh, that doesn't make the journey any easier. Uh, it can make it difficult as we wait upon the Lord and, and seek him. So um, I would see that as, a, as an opportunity, uh, perhaps a unique opportunity in your life for dependence upon him. You know, I hope and pray that's not your journey forever and ever and ever, but that the, there is seasons like this where we have an opportunity to go deep with God. I absolutely believe you need to have people around you. And also, very practically, if you're needing help with a job, um, church is a great place to meet other people and to network and to get to know people. And so hopefully there are avenues within the church to explore that further. But hey, if we can help, if I can help in any way, come and chat to me after about that one. Excellent. Next question. Does the personal development field of mindset, focus, habits, productivity, etc., alongside biblical study, prayer, spiritual practices, have the potential to take away from the power of our trust in the vine? Mm. Or can it be a helpful part of our journey? Great question. Yeah, it is an excellent question. Um, I think what you'll observe in the world today is that God has a vision, God has a purpose, God has a life, And yet the evil one will come to present a counterfeit version. And often the hardest things to discern as a Christian, uh, you know, is the difference. It's very easy when Satan offers something, you know, very, you know, clearly evil and wrong. But but often it's just the small tweaks, the minor shifts. And so there's always a counter version to what God has. And so, um, look, I haven't done a heap of, you know, dwelling in like that own personal development or life coaching and all those kinds of things. Um, but sometimes it's the principles of a kingdom without the king. Um, it's, it's the fruit without the vine. What did we hear in John 15 today? We say, well, apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Now, it's not meaning you can't do significant things or you couldn't be more focused. But when it comes to who you truly are called to be, someone who bears fruit, someone who lives for the glory of God, well, you can't do that apart from Christ alone. Uh, are there things that you can learn 
Absolutely. You know, we all go to school, university. There's lots of helpful things that you can learn in life. I would love us to redeem some of those things for the kingdom. I think the Bible is full of practical insight and wisdom. When you look at Jesus um, teaching his followers, uh, they were given commands. They were given wisdom. They were given an example. They were given all kinds of things. So uh, again, if you're you're a bit lost at sea, look to Jesus. uh, And we'll talk more about that, more about that next week. Excellent. Third question, how do you prevent regular practices, habits, and disciplines from becoming mundane? Yeah, great question. Mm. It's a good one, isn't it? How would you describe mundane? What do you think that, what's underneath that word? Mm. Uh, Well, I think probably a lot about your, like your illustration of a relationship, that kind of experience early on of something feeling exciting, meaningful, and then if you do it a long time, it feels less exciting, less kind of meaningful, perhaps less of an impact and maybe this is connected guy to uh the rule of life you know the practices that we put in place um i know you'll get to this next week is that do we need to do those practices forever or you know how do we keep that journey exciting and relevant for us yeah i mean i think it is true that as a generation we're often uh led by our feelings and that there's good to that but also that can be our downfall um I think if it comes to, like it says, become mundane, I think a lot of our practices are just hard work right. from the beginning. Yeah. And um, like, I don't, I, I have a rule of life, but that doesn't mean I just jump out of bed with joy to pray or read my Bible every day. Right. Sometimes, like, like, go, like you again, go back to a physical example, going for a run. I don't, I'm not, I, I go for a run every Monday morning, I run around, you know, here. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to jump out of bed mm. at six and go, can't wait, this is going to be so fun. Right. Right. Uh, it's going to be tough. Yeah. Now, at the end of the run, I generally feel good. Right. And I'm like, hey, I'm glad I did that. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, the fruit of that is, is long-ranging. Yes. So you need to be gripped by, um, uh, we will talk a bit more about this, but by long-term vision. Mm. You know, a, a loss of freedoms today leads to greater freedoms and joy tomorrow. Um, Eugene Peterson, long obedience in the same direction. So um, something that can help if it's feeling mundane, I think, is to, I I really think, set goals for your life, have milestone moments in your life where you can look back. Uh, A lot of people overestimate what they can achieve in one year, but underestimate what could be achieved in five years. So don't, you know, again, we're an instant gratification culture. You try something a few times, you're like, oh, it's not feeling great. Um, Ultimately, again, remember the goal is Christ-likeness. So five years from now, it's less about a feeling, it's more about a becoming. Have I, am I now seeing greater freedom in Christ? Am I now seeing more fruit? Was that old habit of sin, is it put to death? They're the things that need to inspire you to do the hard and what can seemingly feel mundane in the everyday. Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace. We thank you for your word and your life. And I pray that you'd use today and the next seven weeks to work powerfully and personally in our lives. Change us, grow us, mature us, gift us with all that we need to become more and more like Jesus. Protect us, we pray. Strengthen us, encourage us in this community to enjoy you and to make much of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.